Hello, and welcome to the Performance Cycling Podcast. I'm Jason Hammond. I'm here with Todd Norwood. Hello, welcome back. So, Todd, what are we uh, talking about today? So, today is going to be our second episode of the Well-Aged Book Club Review. Uh, I'm kind of kidding, but I'm actually half serious. Uh, This is a book that I've had for a long time. It's called Bicycling Medicine. It's by Arnie Baker, who was, I believe, a physician, and I believe also worked with the national team back a while ago. It's actually published in 1995 originally. And in particular today, we're going to talk about knee pain, why your knee hurts, and just kind of some general guidelines of things that you may look to address either in your positioning or perhaps changing about your training if you do have some knee pain. Now, with that said, you know, what I will say, you know, honestly, if you do have knee pain or you have uh, a trauma or you have some, you know, popping, clicking, joint locking, you know, redness, a lot of swelling around your knee, uh, probably shouldn't be listening to what we have to say here. You should probably be going to have it checked out by a, a medical professional. And, you know, same thing is if you do happen to try some of these things, you know, you give it a week or two and it's not changing, it is uh, worth it for you to go and and check with a physical therapist or chiropractor, MD, someone to evaluate your knee so you can get properly um, healed and get back on with your cycling. So this is more of a, a little tickle, like a bit of a twinge in your knee rather than a full-blown pain. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think the other thing to think about from this perspective is we're going to omit any of the traumatic injuries. So if you've been hopefully listening to our advice about keeping the rubber side down, then these are the sort of things that are uh, possible uh, discomfort that you might feel in your knee. And you know, with cycling, so many revolutions, it, these things are often overuse injuries that crop up uh, due to things that are seemingly, I'd say, small errors initially. And just the number of revolutions, the number of cycles uh, end up creating some discomfort and some pain. And you get a feedback loop as the little bit of discomfort changes your position and your motor functions, then it starts to propagate and get worse. Yep. So it's probably good to address them early on and just try and um, nip them in the bud before they get too, you know, too out of control. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is one of those situations where the uh, ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Hmm. So... The way uh, the Dr. Baker broke this down is basically slice the knee into quadrants and not not looking head on quadrants, but looking sort of top down quadrants. Uh, this is the way if you well, it's kind of the reverse. If you ever have an MRI, it looks bottom up at your knee if you're curious about that. So it's uh, like we're slicing the thigh and then looking straight down on that slice. Right, right. And so the, the four quadrants, if we go into, you know, medical jargon are anterior and posterior. I think those are fairly obvious, right? Front of the knee, back of the knee, and then medial and lateral. Uh, medial will be the inside towards the midline of the body and lateral is the outside. Um, and so kind of walk through what those, those regions are and what, you know, having pain there, what that means, and then what potential uh, causes are and then what the potential solutions are. Um, as far as trying to resolve that so you can get back into your training. And so just to give you a test here, the anterior medial, that, that's how you define a quadrant. You would you would use both the anterior versus posterior and medial versus lateral. Uh, yes. And uh, However, I'm just going to go sort of anterior and like what's, what's happening in the anterior, medial, what's happening in the medial, so on and so forth. So okay. kind of around, around the horn and see if we can figure out what things might be bothering someone. Sure. So... Let's kick this off here. We'll start. We'll start at the front, 
Uh, it's a pretty common area. And I think just generally speaking, the knee and the low back are two of the most common areas for cyclists that have injuries, especially when we talk about non-traumatic cycling injuries. Uh, those are pretty common areas. So I guess I'm setting us up for a future episode on the low back. Yeah, the low back's really complicated, actually. It's it's incredibly complicated. It's a it's a very expensive problem for society, actually. Yeah, geez, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Society as a whole, not just cyclists. yeah. I mean, cycling. Yeah, it's very common. Cycling. It's also very common in the in the non cycling world, just in the world in general. So anyhow, back to knees, though. So starting with the the front of the knee, the anterior portion of the knee. So this is where your patellar tendon is. This is where your kneecap is. Um, these are pretty common areas to have some pain or discomfort, all sorts of conditions. Um, patellar tendonitis, you have your uh, patellofemoral pain syndrome, which is a, kind of a, a catch-all term for pain behind the kneecap. Um, if you get technical, you can have quadriceps tendonitis, which is the tendon from the quadriceps muscle into the kneecap. Um, so all, all those things are typical diagnoses uh, that one may have with anterior knee pain. Uh, so if we talk about what causes anterior knee pain? Um, there's a couple positional errors that can occur. Uh, namely would be the seat is too low or the seat is too far forward. So really from a mechanical standpoint, we're thinking of this situation where the knee is never really extending to the full extent to sort of optimize the, the pedal stroke. So there's an increased pressure there. The knee's always bent a little bit too much. Um, other things that are more training errors are too much load from climbing or too rapid of an increase in how much climbing you're doing. And th this makes an assumption that you are probably in too high of a gear as well. Yeah. The low thing. cadence dramatically yep. increases the force through uh, the muscles and that that'll contribute. Right. And so that's another thing is independent of climbing is low cadence. If you're you know constantly cranking along at a low cadence, you may be more susceptible to some anterior knee pain. And, and it's the unusually large amount of this low cadence. So if you're normally a flats rider, you're good at 80, 90, 100, and then you do you know three sets of some one hour climb and you've, you're doing that at 50 or 60 cadence, then that's a, a good indication that that could have been the cause. Yep, absolutely. Um, the other thing is uh, that the cranks might be too long. So you're putting too much load, right? and that's just an, a leverage issue too much load back through that patellar tendon or the anterior knee. Um, so I think the, the solutions that fall out of this are probably fairly intuitive. Uh, if your seat's too low, uh, you know, evaluating, raising the seat, uh, making sure it's in an appropriate range of motion for you. You know, if it's too far forward, possibly moving it back, um, you know, climb less, spin more are a thing that, you know, I think now you have access to, sufficient ranges of gears with the way bikes are made now that the low cadence probably shouldn't be a problem right? excessively low cadence because you're climbing well I, th I think it takes a certain amount of maturity to say i need a 50 34 for winter training or wh wherever you're doing this climbing the maturity to say i'm going to buy a set of second set of chain rings i'm going to install them when i know i need them uh, and you just have to make the conscious effort to do it right yeah i mean there i guess there is a value into to looking cool and rocking the 5339 but you, your knees might thank you. If you can't you, smash the descents as well if you're in a 50. You run out of gears too quickly. It's good It's good practice, though, to get higher cadence, right? That's true. And So I think the prevailing theory for the seat being too low causing knee pain is the, the compressive force on the joint is higher when you're producing force at a um, 
at a more um, flexed knee. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. The the forces are pulling the kneecap and the joint there more into compression, right? As opposed to um, sort of along the plane of the joint. And so that's this goes along the lines of if you want to spare your knees, don't go as deep in your squats because the, the knee will be less flexed. Is that right? Yeah, that goes that goes with it. I mean, there, you can argue about this. It, you know, part of it is also like with squats and your weightlifting is uh, conditioning, right? And building yourself up to that. Um, and on, on the flip side, or maybe agreeing with this is, do you really need to squat that low with weight? Like how, how often in life do you, and like, and especially in cycling, do you really ever bend your knee that far on a bike? Well, yeah. And like we said in our strength training episode, you're supposed to train on with weights to match your efforts on the bike. Right. So yeah. you, you should never go any lower than your knee would be flexed on the bike. And, right. You want or specificity. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, you know, keep your feet at the same width as you would on the bike, things yeah, like as that. Best, best you can, right? Like yeah. If you're more stable, going a little wider, fine, or, you know, what have you. Um, so those are sort of the, the key causes, or most likely causes, if you will, from an overuse standpoint of anterior knee pain um, and sort of some of the solutions there. The other one is, is shorter cranks. Uh, I, I tend to think most riders are generally close on crank length. It's hard to have this problem, I'd say. Yeah. I mean, unless you intentionally made a choice like, oh, I'm going to rock 180s this year. Dude. And we talked about this in our last episode. There there are not really disadvantages to going to a longer crank, except I guess we found one, a yeah, potential disadvantage. Yeah. But for the most part, you will see at least the same level of performance, if not an increase. And it, this scenario would be, I want to try longer cranks. And on your first few rides, you notice some knee pain. It's uh, probably that's the, your indication. Oh, I should just stick with my normal yep, cranks. If you change something. Yeah. Uh, you know, and on the flip side, there's really no detriment to shorter cranks. And there's very, there's very little until you get into crazy short cranks. But yeah, on the, the commercially produced or the you know readily available crank links. You really have to try to get anything under 165. Right. And even 165, some brands are like, no, we're not going to do that. Yep. So if, if you're in the 165 to 175, even up to 177 and a half, you're, if you're in that range, this is probably a non-issue. Yep. Um, okay. So we'll sort of move, move around. I guess that would be relatively counterclockwise uh, towards the medial part of the knee. So possible causes for medial knee pain and so you think about the medial knee there's certainly structures there that you hear injured in field sports and traumatic injuries uh, you have the meniscus there you have the medial collateral ligament there um, these things don't really get injured in cycling and right? not a little trauma yes if you have a fall it's possible but uh, from an overuse standpoint these are unlikely to be structures that are getting injured uh, the most common thing that may happen on the medial aspect of the knee is what's called pes anserine bursitis. So you have three tendons that are coming into the tibia there, and there's a bursa that sits underneath there. And if there's a, you know, either excessive force or excessive strain there, uh, that bursa can become inflamed. Uh, alternatively, you could have tendonitis at any of those tendons that are coming into the tibia. Uh, those would be the, the more likely causes of medial knee pain. And so possible um, reasons you may experience medial knee pain tend to do with your foot position. Um, and then that's uh, the foot position is causing the tibia to move in a certain way, then causing strain on that pezanserine area. So it could be that your cleats are positioned in such a way that your toes are pointing outward. Because uh, re relatively speaking, if your 
toes are pointing outward, your tibia, that's your shin, is going to want to rotate outward with your feet. And effectively, that lengthens those tendons that insert at the pezzanserine. So it's putting more stress on it in a, in a lengthened position. Um, additionally, uh, if you're, you have floating pedals with a lot of float and it's allowing you to go into that toe out position a lot, then that may be a contributing factor. Um, here he, he suggests that exiting your clipless pedals may be a problem. Um, if you follow the logic though, I have trouble with that because you're kind of going the other way. I guess you could argue that, um, tightening those muscles and contracting those muscles a little bit would cause a little internal rotation of the tibia that would help you get out of the pedals. Uh, but I think that's so infrequent. You're in, I mean, I guess unless you're clipping in and out all the time, um, that seems like an unlikely cause to me. Hmm. So for the, for the lay person, mm-hmm. um, this, uh, medial pain could be caused by like, say you're sitting, uh, like laying on your back mm-hmm. and you, the knee is a, a one dimensional joint. So yep. the, it's the, the heel going up to the butt. And yep. if you were to hold the femur and not let it move mm-hmm. and you were to move the foot or the lower leg side to side, yep. there's a uh, little squishy, uh, supports in the joint that, allow you to move a little bit, but not too much. And so if your bike is positioned or, or your cleat is positioned in such a way that this little squishy area is, is overly, um, compressed or excessively like over and over again, squished, then it could cause some inflammation. It can cause some pain in that area, but this is much less likely than some other, um, pain. Is that? Yeah. I would say it's again, probably pretty obvious from positional standpoint, like, Hmm, oh, you're, you know, those are pointing way out. Yeah, but it, it is this side-to-side motion it's of the, the lower l- leg. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's probably more likely to be um, rotary motion of the okay. lower leg, like a rotational strain. It could be um, sort of, we would call it a, kind of a valgus stress in, in medical ease, but basically it's the, you know, the it's like a bowing in, like you imagine your legs are sort of bowing in mm-hmm. um, as opposed to out. So you're like knock need, I think is the the proper lay term for that. Okay. Um, so you can imagine like if you're if you're a little bit knock need, that basically takes the medial aspect of that knee and it it stretches it, it lengthens everything. Um, so in that situation, you could have excessive stress there. But it's pretty hard to get knock need, and that's actually sort of the the next thing. Like your feet would be too far apart on the bike. So like if you had like crazy wide pedal spindles or crazy wide, you know, uh, Q, uh, Q factor, then potentially, right, you're in a position where you're knock need. Well, you see some pros with their knees really close to their top tube. And that used to be the recommendation for aerodynamics. And then yep. they realized maybe this isn't a good recommendation. You should have a neutral knee position. But I, I do think that it's... Um, it's hard because, yeah, the top tube's in the way and mm-hmm. the other leg is in the way. And so it's hard to have excessive, uh, you know, put position there, especially if you're using a standard crank width. Right. Yeah. And if you're putting yourself out there, then that's one thing. Or, but uh, yeah, I think it's uh, a challenge, challenging. And you're probably not going to see a, a ton of riders that are going to experience that. Yeah. And so one last clarification. Mm-hmm. Uh, so medial knee pain, I'm, I'm thinking of other sports like, say, tennis or soccer would be mm-hmm. more prone to this issue because of the, the side, the lateral cut. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, exactly. The, the that loading, loading, the twisting, pivoting. Yeah, yeah. all those things. Absolutely. Uh, so, okay, well, what are the solutions? Uh, if you're towing out, looking at your cleats and your pedal setup, right? Trying to get that a little bit more square. Uh, look, everybody's a little bit different and there's certainly plenty of variation in human anatomy. So your, your body may want to 
toe out a little bit and that that may just be natural for you however if you do end up having a medial knee pain then it's maybe something to look at and say well can i maybe bring myself maybe i over exaggerated my toe out on my cleat setup and i just want to bring that back a little bit closer to center um, if you're using a floating pedal system that has a, a lot of free float then it you know if it has the ability to lock out some of that float or block some of it, then great. Or if you can swap cleats where it limits some of that float to keep you from towing out, great. Again, uh, an option there. Uh, as far as exiting pedals, again, I think this is unlikely unless you're just clipping out all the time. Maybe maybe for the newer rider who's learning to use clipless pedals. It could also be uh, that some some pedals are, from the factory, very tight. Super stiff, yeah. And it, it, if you are getting out, like say you're city cycling and you, you have to stop at a bunch of red lights and you have really stiff pedals, so it's such an effort to get out each time, maybe there's a, a situation like this. But it, you should set up your pedals properly to have the right tension yep, that absolutely. this is not an issue. I guess I just track stand all the lights. So I never, like I, cl- yeah, I, for- I, I clip out once per ride. And you forgot that I people, uh, that people stop people and unclip. Clip. Yeah. Um, and then, so I guess the last, last piece here is, okay, well, if for some reason the Q factor and pedal stance is too wide, uh, evaluating if you can, you know, get a crank set up with a narrow Q factor, if you can get pedal spindles that are a little bit narrower. Um, sometimes you can, you know, even move the cleat medial and lateral on your foot. You just got to be careful that it doesn't get too far out on the foot because so, otherwise the pressure ends up getting a little bit weird. Yeah, you want to try and keep the pressure still on the middle of the foot. Yeah, so that you have a little wiggle on that, but not a, not a, you don't want that to be your only solution if your feet were way too far apart. Like, oh yeah, I'm just going to slam my cleat all the way to the outside of my shoe and bring my, bring my feet underneath my knees. Yeah, that's good, but now the outside of your foot's not going to feel great and your, your power distribution is going to be weird. Well, you're like adding problems on you're, you're like you're you're asking for something else yeah and like probably losing efficiency add a, add complications on complications probably not the best the, one thing i'll say here is if you do have a lot of toe in or toe out position then it could be an excuse for lower hip mobility mm-hmm. and the way that you accommodate for your low hip mobility is by moving your foot which then changes your knee position which then allows you to um, this is like if we're back to the weightlifter example, you see a lot of people lifting and they they really splay their knees outward. Mm-hmm. Or um, this is a way for them to accommodate their hips and get their um, get their hip uh, flexion to to work. Um, so you know if you do find yourself with a, an excessively toe out position, maybe look higher up the chain and see if yeah, there's an issue ab- there. Absolutely, and I think you know looking at your mobility generally is helpful to understand what's what's going on. I, I will say most times uh, with cycling being sort of a sagittal plane is the medical term, but sort of a, a straight ahead sort of an activity, most of the solutions end up being in the sagittal plane. Um, like at least, at least to first order, right? You should make sure everything in the sagittal plane is right. Your seat height is correct and that looks okay. And then if that checks out, okay, now let me move on to some of the other things that are in the other planes of motion and make sure that I'm not compensating some other plane in order to make the sagittal plane work. Yeah, and I, I think now that we're talking about this, um, I've read a few white papers on uh, cycling knee pain, and they all have uh, sort of agreed upon that if you can linearize a rider's knee movement, that's a great indication that you're, you're starting to fix their knee pain. Mm-hmm. So if a rider comes in and you look at their knee and it's tracking Uh, all over the place then if you can figure out how to get it to be more linear it's likely you're on the path to solving their knee pain Mm -hmm. 
so that's that's uh I, I think that's something a, to keep in that's mind. That's a fair that's a fair assessment too, and especially from what I've seen, my experience. Yeah, if your knees doing wonky things, then we have something to fix, and your knee probably doesn't feel great. And if it's going straight ahead, I mean, your your knee expects certain forces because it's a hinge and it wants to hinge. Yeah, it's a one dimensional, right? And as, as soon as you start to introduce, you know, rotations and other forces into the knee, it's not so happy because it's really not built to accommodate for that. All right, so let's let's continue our, our circle around the knee here. So we're going to move to the posterior aspect, the back of the knee. Um, so what's what's back there that's going to be injured in a, a repetitive nature? Uh, so you have two big muscle groups back there. You have the the calf muscle, the gastroc that crosses, you know, attaches the Achilles tendon down at the heel there, runs all the way up, and the two heads attached to the femur. And then you also have your hamstrings coming down from the hip and attaching to the tibia there. So you have the, those muscles, those tendons that are right there behind the knee. Um, those are the things that you're really going to see as far as a, an overuse injury. There's some other things you could have, uh, for example, a Baker cyst, you could have, um, you know, potentially meniscal pain, but those aren't really things I would expect from, uh, an overuse injury perspective. And so these are, uh, a little bit simpler and perhaps this is not shocking that it's really the opposite situation of anterior knee pain um, some, sometimes things are simple so in, the, in this case the potential problems are one that your saddle may be too high or your saddle may be too far back and then the other suggestion is that you have um, excessive float in the pedals as, as another possibility there and so, you know, excessive flow with the pedals. I mentioned the hamstrings being back there. Uh, one of the pezanserine muscles is one of the hamstring muscles. So I think those two align fairly well. So you're getting that excessive strain from the excessive rotation of the pedals. Uh, and then, you know, too, too high, too far back. Basically, your hamstring cannot accommodate that stretch. And I think that, you know, we have to respect the hamstring for being primarily a two joint muscle. And so it's crossing across the hip, it's crossing across the knee. So your pelvis angle, your, the, the relative relationship to the pelvis and how, relatively how far your pelvis is tipped forward from the vertical on your seat. So you, you can reach your handlebars is going to influence your hamstring as well as your seat height. And your hamstring has to have enough length to do both of those things. And I think as you can see, just, you know, assuming your handlebar stays in the same spot, if you raise your seat, or you move your seat back, relatively speaking, your pelvis has to tip further forward so you can reach the handlebar. And so that's... And, well, unless the length is accommodated in your shoulders or your back or something. Sure, sure. But assuming those are all the same, in general, if your seat is higher, you will have a more anterior tilt to your pelvis. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, with that, you're taking some of that length of your hamstring away from the ability to extend the knee all the way. And so if that's the case, over, you know, X hundreds and thousands of cycles your poor hamstring is not going to be very happy because it's getting overstretched and tugged on. Basically. And also Every, it's, it's utilization throughout the pedal stroke will go down. It's going to be inefficient. Yeah. Absolutely. And because it's not at its correct length, the yep. length tension relationship is off. I, I think one way to think about this is we talked about in our flexibility episode that one good measurement to do is to look at how, uh, how much you can lift your leg, lay on your back. Uh, how high can you lift one leg while keeping the other leg on the ground? And if you were to take this leg position and 
you know, look, look from the side and rotate this person into a cyclist position, you can see that if their pelvis is rotated forward and their leg only goes up 45 degrees, you know, you can superimpose them in, onto a bike and say, oh yeah, we don't have enough mobility here in our hamstrings to accommodate this, the rotation of the pelvis and the length of the pedal stroke. Yeah. I mean, that makes, that's perfect sense. And I think that's why that's a, that's a good test because one, one leg is extended and one leg spent right and you have to have that mobility to to stay in that position or you know and you you don't when you're on your bike want to be bouncing up against the limit of your range of motion on every pedal stroke yeah you want a solid uh, 10 percent. you want to have some little room on that right so when you fatigue when when you're tired when you change position you know right just even going from the hoods down to the drops that's going to possibly change a little bit of demand, change a little bit on your pelvis position. And now you don't want to run out of like, Oh, now my seat's too high. That's a little bit of a problem. And, and now actually, now that I, um, what I mentioned about the hamstring flexibility, it's interesting that the, the bent knee test that we talked about, same lay on your back, Mm -hmm. bend your knee and bring your knee to chest. That is a measure of the mobility at the top of the pedal stroke. Mm -hmm. And then the straight knee is the measure at the bottom of the pedal stroke. Mm -hmm. And so that, um, those are you know those are your two tests of the mobility of you know the top and the bottom of your pedal stroke yeah i mean that, that sort of tells you how much of a circle you can make right how big can yeah. that circle be and if you met i mean if you measure that make sure your cranks are smaller than that yeah or make sure total... your mobility is high enough to accommodate your cranks yep and relative yeah relative to your seat and yep. yeah yeah uh, we probably covered all those things on our bike fitting episodes I, too. yeah but i think we worded extent. it differently i guess yeah. it's uh, it's all coming together now for me at least so okay so that's that's back of the knee Again, I'd say in my experience, a lot of it's anterior knee. And I'd say that's, at least in my experience, that's what I've seen the most of uh, with folks coming in. Uh, So, okay. Lastly, the lateral aspect of the knee, the outside of the knee. There's a lot of stuff out there uh, that's going on. I think the big things people talk about is the IT band is out there. We're all probably fairly familiar with it. A lot of people have probably spend some time lying over a foam roller and making funny faces because it not, doesn't feel great, uh, or their IT band, their lateral quad. Uh, again, you also have hamstring muscles that are inserting on the lateral aspect of the leg going down to the, uh, the tibia and the fibula there. Um, and then, you know, you have, again, you have ligamentous and other structures of the knee. These are unlikely to be injured in an overuse situation with cycling, um, more likely traumatic, as Jason mentioned, with the, the field-type sports and the running, cutting, pivoting sorts of motions. So what are the likely causes of lateral knee pain? Um, so, you know, towing in, again, this is probably going to correlate fairly well uh, with medial knee pain. It's sort of the opposite problems that are happening here. So you're towing too far in, you have that rotation of the tibia, the rotation of the foot, and that's placing excessive stretch on all those tissues on the lateral aspect of the thigh. So they're, they're being stretched too far, and then you're, you know, thousands of cycles later, they're a little angry at you. Um, additionally, you could be floating pedals contributing to that problem. Excessive float is a lot of excessive toe in, um, so that's something to think about correcting. And then uh, think about feet being too close together so again those tissues now instead of being stretched in a more of a rotary it's more of a, a medial lateral stretch and now your knees are coming again this is sort of knock knee position uh, and it's putting stretch on the lateral structures of the knee there and causing pain 
Um, I'd say in this group of conditions, probably again the most common is the, the IT band Frankston syndrome, where it's just the, the IT band is rubbing across the lateral aspect of the femur and causing the friction, some pain there. Um, and a fairly common thing, runners, cyclists, triathletes, um, oftentimes will come in with, with some issues there. And, and so a too narrow foot position, Todd, you have wider spindles, is that correct? To, um, Accommodate, yeah. Yeah, well, you're, you're taller, so, uh, you know, they specialized, I'm sorry, not specialized, Shimano, uh, SRAM, these component uh, manufacturers, they don't really accommodate larger cranks to be wider. Is that correct? They have a standard width. Yeah, the width everyone. is the same. And, you know, everything's built off of a bell curve, right? They wanna, they're trying to hit the bell curve, and my height does not fit on said bell curve well it does it's just not in the middle of it yeah it's uh, what two standard deviations or yeah something. probably pretty yeah. close to that and so you have wider i think it, i don't even know if it's that corollary with height i think you know some people just have wider hips yep. and um you know how do you so you have personal experience how do you know that you needed wider spindles and how could someone you know make that decision so i think there's a couple of ways to go about it um okay q1 Hey, you have some pain on the lateral aspect of the knee. Uh, what's what's going on there? You know, you check are my are my feet pointing in? Nope, that's all that's all good. My feet are pretty square. I don't have floating pedals causing that. Okay, check check. Um, you know, now so there is some question of sort of mobility uh, and strength and like, do you have adequate mobility? Okay, good. That's I assume that's fine. Um, now, I think there's a couple things. Like one, if you just squat down. What's your natural stance, right? If I just ask you to, or even if I just ask you like hop up, hop and down in place, kind of what's your natural stance? Where, what do your feet gravitate towards? And if it's significantly wider than your pedals are, then eh, maybe that's a, that's a little bit of a cue. Uh, the other thing, you know, I look at is when I look at a rider on a bike is where are their knees relative to their feet? And the thing I think about is I really want to have the foot move underneath the knee um, you know and the knees connect to the hip and the knee the knee should be where it wants to be but i want to fix the foot on the pedal underneath that so like where do you if you were to ride on flat pedals i think that's a simple test right like put on find some cheap flat pedals put on some tennis shoes hop your on bike your shop bike might give them to you for free yeah exactly and go pedal around for you know five ten minutes maybe go up a little incline and see where your feet gravitate towards and if you look down and you realize, like, oh, wow, my foot's really on the outer third of the pedal, that might be a good indication. Like, okay, well, maybe I should look and see if I can get some wider spindles or, you know, some other accommodation to be able to move my foot out a little bit wider and kind of really get underneath my knee where I can produce some power as opposed to being, you know, too narrow. Hmm. And the other thing I want to ask about is um, the IT band is, I guess, kind of a hot topic in endurance sports and i i now have a pt cornered in a room and uh i know that there's a lot of uh you know i want to stretch my it band and it's a tendon you can't stretch it it you know it's been shown that it can, you know it doesn't stretch doesn't more stretch. than you know a centimeter or two mm -hmm. and um so what's really going on i know that the um the it band is connected to the tfl and mm -hmm. that wraps around the hip so there's some other muscles that could be influencing the phenomenon do you have you know, what's your professional opinion or, you know, how, how do you feel and about the does subject? Does it have a, you know, has a, a contribution to hip extension as well? Yeah. So, you know, I think my feeling is 
yeah, it doesn't stretch a whole lot. If it stretches, it's probably a trivial amount. Um, there's some interesting cadaver studies that I've seen where they just like extracted it and put a, a weight on it and, and waited for yeah some time, some long time, and like a big weight. I don't remember what it is. I want to say 40 pounds of what comes to mind. It might have been 40 kilos. This is not a trivial amount of weight. And yes, it's a cadaver, and cadaver tissue is inherently not as flexible as live human tissue, but I mean, basically it didn't budge was the result. And it's okay, well, why are you trying to go around and stretch people's um, IT bands? So I've, I've heard many different theories and read many different things. Um, the, one, the one that I think strikes me as plausible, but I still need some more evidence to corroborate it, is that it's um, sort of a sliding thing over the uh, over the quadriceps muscle, possibly, and then it's basically just not the interface isn't sliding very well. Um, so that's maybe a contributing factor. But the other part, when I look at it, is also thinking about a a strength issue in the hips. So particularly uh, hip abductors, right? And if your like glute medius, for example, is weak, that's going to allow your hip relatively to adduct or move towards midline and that's going to add to stress at the it band alternatively uh, i think feet could be a contributing issue if you have low arches or your arch tends to collapse that's going to make the tibia want to fall into relative uh, adduction and again possibly that knee valgus causing uh can stretch at the IT band there or tension there. Um, so my, I think my thought is it's probably more some other biomechanical factor. It's almost like a catch-all yeah. for other issues. Yep. And then, you know, if you have to pin me down to, well, all right, I fine. It's, it can't be, what, what is it if it's not another biomechanical factor? I would say that I, I think this, this sliding idea is, I, I find it attractive. Like, like I said, I still need a little more evidence to feel like, yep, this is rock solid. I think this is absolutely what's going on. Um, but like I, I've seen some stuff, I can understand where that idea is coming from. Okay, I could I could buy into that as a as a rationale there. And I guess it's interesting you're mentioning the sliding. A lot of um, professional cyclists and cyclists with a lot of quad, especially vastus lateralis muscle mass, you can really see the IT band press into that. And mm -hmm. that's that, st like, you can see it on the outside of their leg, just the difference between the vastus lateralis and, like, the start of the hamstrings mm -hmm. coming around. And so the that depression there is the IT band that isn't really able to accommodate the, the, the muscle hypertrophy of mm -hmm. the outer quad. And so that really could be a big contributing factor for cyclists in particular. Runners usually don't have that much vastus lateralis muscle yeah, mass. Yeah, it's just not efficient as a runner, right? To... Yeah. So I wonder if, you know, it's just sort of um, there's not enough space for everything to, to be the size and mm -hmm. shape it wants. Yep. So, yeah, at the end of the day, I think it's you probably best bang for your buck is looking up and down the chain. right? If you If your base assumption is, this IT band is an unchangeable object, right? I, I can't stretch it. I can't really do anything to affect it. Maybe I could help it. You know, maybe I could do something to make it less, to desensitize or make it not painful in the short term and, and manage the pain. But if this is a thing that I can't affect, then using that as a jumping off point, clearly you have to look somewhere else, right? Like it, it, if I can't change that, I must look somewhere else to resolve my problem. Yeah, and I think one... If we are talking about moving up and down the chain, I think 
based on my own experiences and talking to my friends, it seems that start with the big muscles because mm-hmm. they're really the ones that are strong enough to pull other things out of whack. So mm-hmm. if you're looking at uh, a little muscle, it's just not influential enough to really pull your joints. Um, it would, if, if a small muscle was tight, it would pull, it would just be pulled to not be as tight by the larger muscles. So it's generally a good idea to look at, you know, quads, hamstrings, glutes, like calves, not, yep. uh, you know, oh, this this weird muscle on my shin is causing all of these problems. It's, it's possible, but it's much more likely that it's there's a big culprit. Yeah, I mean, I think I would solve for all those big muscle groups first. And, and if you can check all the boxes, right, and you pass all the flexibility tests and all that stuff looks good, and then you say, okay, well, what if? Okay, yeah, okay, plausible. Like we, yeah. we can move down the line. Yeah, you always hear stories about like, you know, your the transverse arch of someone's foot is, you know, they, they rolled on a tennis ball for a week and then it solved all their problems that they, t- that, you know, they were working on for three months. And okay, fine. That's like a very particular case. But most of the time it's, dude, your glutes are tight or, you know, oh, your hamstrings are too short or, mm-hmm. you know, something big. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's always there's always the case studies that we read in journals and like, oh, that's interesting that you, you know, you address this and who knows, right? Sure, that that for that one person was the thing, but across the broad population, it's probably the big things most more likely than not, right? And so shoot, shoot for those first. If you can knock those off the list and you're still having trouble, then yeah, have a deeper dive and see if you can find some other culprit. And I think it, it also become clear over time like okay yeah but check this box i check that box uh sometimes it probably is requires more patience than you're willing to have uh, but if you are diligent and you're systematic about it and you have a, a provider or a coach or somebody's working with you that's also systematic about it you will get down to the solution ultimately you just have to work through all the possibilities and it i think to your point jason yeah knock off the the big ones first the most likely culprits first because you're for most people, you'll probably find the problem. And if you don't, great. Just be systematic and keep working through until yeah, you do. It's definitely important to have, um, well, this piece of evidence suggests that it could be this. You stretch that thing, it, uh, like it doesn't feel yep. tight, like I passed the mobility test for this thing. Okay, you know, do we have other pieces of evidence that could suggest some other issue and, and explore that one next? Yeah, I think the, the way I always think about it as a practitioner, this is super was super helpful when I was learning and uh, and, my mentor said, well, look, just think about it as a scale, right? And so every piece of evidence, just heap on that scale, right? And if you have, you know, three pieces of evidence that say it's your quads and you have one piece of evidence that says it's your calf, well, probably start with your quads. And if you then refute all those three pieces of evidence and you do something with the quads and that's not seeming it, well, okay, you know, maybe... Maybe you missed something. Go look back at that calf again, right? And see if there's some other there's some other evidence that you overlooked and try to address that. And that may be your culprit. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, you're just describing the scientific method. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, and it, it can be applied so widely. We just have to remember to actually do it. Yep. And and I think trust your result, right? Make sure you, you go through it. You're diligent. Yeah. And you, per- you check like, the boxes. Uh, look at it in a way that you can trust your result yeah, and yeah. then trust it and move on to something else when you've yeah, dismissed it. Absolutely. All right. So we got the, the four quadrants. Yep. Is that so, right? yeah. So those are, those are possible reasons why from a, an overuse standpoint, you might be having some pain in your knee. 
And, you know, as I said earlier, if you go through, you look at these things, you're, you're still having pain. You may you do one or two of these things that relate to uh, the particular region of the knee that's bothering you. Definitely, if it's not getting better, you know, in short order, a week or two, uh, go and, and consult with an appropriate health professional who can help get everything straightened away for you. Absolutely. So I think that's uh, the knee for now. And well, it's not you know not I mean, the whole the, knee. The, the basics the basics of knee pain uh, as it as it pertains to cycling. And actually, I have a few stats on knee pain. Uh, I think. 25% of cyclists will experience knee pain and 60% of those are patellar tendonitis or um, anterior knee, just the generic yep. catch-all anterior yep. knee pain. So um, yeah, you're most likely to be uh, getting the front of the knee, which um, check your quads, you know, check your, uh, check your seat height. Yeah. Don't, don't climb so much, maybe spend more, at least in the short term. And then if you need to climb more, build up your strength. Right, and, and look at your training plan. And now that we're giving tips, please don't uh, don't rely on NSAIDs uh, for uh, for some temporary relief. I think that's a bad habit to get into. Yeah, it's good at good at masking things. Um, and also, hi- yeah, hides your symptoms, so it's harder to be scientific about your approach. I, so I, I will say, uh, this sounds cruel as a as a healthcare provider, but I always appreciated the patients who didn't take NSAIDs or pain medication when they came in to see me for the first time, because then I could actually truly evaluate their symptoms. And sometimes I have people come in like, oh yeah, you know, my neck hurts, my shoulder and my knee hurts. Okay, great. Now, well, you know, I took, uh, took a couple of Vicodin or I took this before I came in to see six Madville and the Proxen, whatever it is. Um, so it really doesn't hurt very much right now. And that's always much more challenging as a healthcare provider, or even if you're evaluating yourself to really know the truth. Uh, whereas it's like, yeah, I haven't, I haven't taken anything. This is sort of its its resting state for me right now. It's a you know five out of ten or, or what have you. Like, all right, I, I know what we're starting with. I know what we're working with, hmm. and I can probably provoke it and test it and understand very well what's going on. Yeah, uh, that's uh, interesting. Good advice, I'd say. So yeah, so I guess if you're you know if you do get to this point where you're gonna go in and see your provider, especially a PT, and again, like you, you know you have to make your own decisions, but. They will probably appreciate it if you're in sort of your your baseline state, un unmedicated to manage the pain, because uh, that'll make their ability to diagnose it and you know provide accurate treatment uh, recommendations for you just that much easier. Yeah, and actually, please go see someone before it gets to the point where yes. you uh, yes you need some of these harder painkillers. Absolutely. All right, uh, I don't have anything else, Todd. If uh... Well, want to wrap it up? so as, as usual, if you like us and you enjoy our podcast, please head over to wherever it is that you download this and give us a review or a like or whatever it is in your social subscribe. currency. Subscribe. Yes. Uh, share with friends. And um, of course, until next time and some future uh, low back pain episode that'll be forthcoming, I suppose, uh, keep the rubber side down.